Welcome to Beyond Trauma, a podcast from therapists for clients about the healing journey. We hope this will be a resource of encouragement, comfort, insight, and understanding for you along this courageous process. Hey guys, welcome back to Beyond Trauma, a guide for your healing journey. We are here in studio today with myself, Jen, Melissa, and Bridger. And we are going to continue with our series by talking more on the impact of trauma on family and relationships. So before we dive into that, I do want to mention to you guys a um, membership program that we have called Patreon. Um, We have started a Patreon account for all of our listeners who are interested in additional content, additional episodes from us. Um, We have some other bonus material out there. And this is a really good way just to continue to stay connected with us, but also support the podcast. If there's a lot of content you enjoy hearing on this, um, our Patreon gives us an opportunity to raise the the support that we need to continue with these episodes and bringing in hopefully um, more new content that's also helpful. Yeah, we also have part of that, like, I don't know, when I listen to podcasts, it's sometimes like, what is the Patreon really about? Mm -hmm. But we have such a growing team of people that are not just with the podcast, but that are in our organization that can help with, you know, getting uh, really awesome things out there to our patrons. Yeah. And so the money goes to helping us not just increasing the quality of the podcast itself, but also all the cool extra things that mm-hmm. we can we can have then have time to do and have resources to kind of, um, you know, put towards those things. Mm-hmm. So the money yeah. is a really, really big help. Mm-hmm. So if you are interested in checking that out more, you can find it at Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash beyond trauma podcast. Okay, so moving into our episode, we want to begin looking into family relationships and kind of the connection between those and trauma and specifically healing from trauma. So Mm -hmm. what is the impact that we may notice um, on our family and our relationships as we go through the process of healing from trauma. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the first things that comes to mind is there's kind of a a few different phases of family and relationship impact. There's the, you know, the main impact of if we ourselves have gone through trauma, that's going to impact our family and our Mm -hmm. closest relationships. Also, often the trauma is from family. Inside the family. Inside the family. So there's that version of it that is probably the most challenging. Um, And navigating, you know, what does it mean to set healthy boundaries? What does it mean to come to terms with the reality of, you know, what happened in my family? And even sometimes admitting that to ourselves is hard. There's also the phase where when we individually begin to heal, that changes the dynamics in our family significantly. And uh, sometimes not necessarily in ways that everybody likes and responds Mm -hmm. well to. Yeah, a lot of of times those types of changes are not made explicit. No. And we don't really notice the roles that we're being cast to play Mm -hmm. until... um, Until we start refusing to play those roles. Right, (laughs) until we, you know, yeah, we do set boundaries and then Uh the whole system reacts as if, you know, what are you doing? This is yes. not good. And they're going to try to get us back into the role of, you know, the holder of the trauma or whatever right. type of 
role that they were that you were previously cast to play mm-hmm. once you start healing and changing that doesn't mean that your family starts healing mm-hmm. and changing mm-hmm. so it can be really provoking yeah so just a really because we'll get into this more but just a really quick example of that that i think is kind of easy to connect with one of the things that we see happen let's say in a family unit there is a child that is struggling with addiction hmm. and they're the identified patient everything in the Everything that's wrong is that their person. responsibility. Is yes. their fault. Yes, they they um, become the perfect scapegoat and the perfect release valve for all of the tension, all of the stress, all of the issues in the family. And let's say that person um, goes through treatment and gets sober, and then suddenly the two parents find themselves without that outlet, yeah. and now they start having relational issues between the two of them. That is a very, very common pattern. And so those are the kinds of dynamics that we're going to be talking about today, that when we shift something, even through healing, even through something positive, there's a ripple effect to all of our relationships that sometimes we don't really count on ahead of time. Yeah, and I think one thing that I describe for my patients and clients is that this is this is much bigger than just a relationship. You know, mm-hmm. as evolutionarily we developed to, you know, I'm going to take care of this role and I need you to take care of this other role. And that, you know, used to be just about like gathering food and things like that. But now I gather. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's a very simple, but you know, very poignant way to describe it. But then that carries with it so much expectations for the way in which you're going to hunt and Mm -hmm. I'm going to gather. And so now where we're in these complex, ever-changing roles in, in our contemporary life, we're still expecting other people to keep playing the role that we originally cast them to play mm-hmm. and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And so when we start to change, it's 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 getting at the very fabric of the relationship network that yes. you're in, yes. why you're connected and what agreements you made coming into the relationship, all mm-hmm. you know, implicitly. Rarely, if ever, do families say like, this is my role and this is your role mm-hmm. yeah. and this is what you <laughs> right. need to do. Mm-hmm. And here is your job description. Here is the lane you need to stay in. You know, all of it's going below right. conscious awareness, right. but we're still doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and when we're looking at trauma from childhood and then we look at an adult family. So kind of what comes into my mind is a marriage or a family unit where one or multiple people involved in that have experienced some form of trauma and they bring that into their relationship today Mm -hmm. where there's not necessarily a trauma component in the present family, but there's the residual effects of that. And so ways in which that can impact the family dynamic or the intimate relationship there is a struggle with trust. Um, an inability to really lean into and trust that partner, even if a commitment has been made, you know, I'm going to trust you, we're, we're going to pursue marriage or whatever that is, but there's a struggle to just really lean into that trust mm-hmm. and to feel safe in that partnership, even if that partner has never hurt you because right. of trauma from the past, we're right. going to mm-hmm. carry that fear. A really easy, easy example uh, is, you know, coming from a childhood family of divorce, right? Yes. The template you're working with mm-hmm. is naturally, you know, you, your mind is open to the idea that this could fall apart. Right. And so if things start happening that maybe wake up ways that you saw your parents interacting, Mm -hmm. that is then you're reacting to those situations in the past, not to the weird text you got from your partner that made you think that they were disconnecting. Yes. Okay. So, so perfect example of this is I'm talking to someone this week and they say to me, oh yeah, my partner and I cannot talk about money. If we're going to talk about it, we have to do it through email. Like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm like, okay, so tell me more about that. And she's like, well, that that was 
the thing that my parents would fight about, mm-hmm. like constantly. Yeah. And that's exactly what you're talking about, Bridger, is because of the way that this person's nervous system was shaped early in life, there was trauma and fear and distrust around this particular topic and this belief that in even a intimate married relationship, we can't trust each other to navigate this topic well. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. And right. so and now, we, yeah, if we if it comes up, it's, oh, it's just, only going to go bad. Yeah. No. No. There, there's no way yeah. for this to go well because her body does not have a template to anticipate. Yeah. What would it even look like for yeah. this conversation to not only go well, but maybe even be an intimate conversation yeah. that really builds connected. trust? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, and and so you know we sort of explored that idea of like, okay, what would it look like to risk just a tiny little bit of trust? And she's like well, maybe I could just try to say it out loud. And maybe we could have like a 30-second conversation about it and not do it through email. I'm like, that that seems like a great I love it. Set a timer. Experiment. Right. Yeah. Like 30 seconds, maybe just say the word money to each other. Yeah, on a completely yeah. neutral yeah. topic of money. No yeah. conversation yeah. needs to happen. Just, <laughs> yeah. money. just money. Just money. And look at Notice each other. That. <laughs> how, how does that, that feel? feel? Uh, terrifying. That's how that okay, feels. Put okay, put it away. Go talk yeah. about something else. And That's then right. say again. Money. Money. Mm-hmm. Or maybe I'm just going to like lay a credit card on the table between us while oh, we're having Lord. a meal. Just see how that feels, you know? <laughs> we're joking, but not. No, no but, but no, really no, no. not. This like, is very serious. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and I, I think it's a good example of the way that our nervous system gets shaped early on and how reactive we are in our current relationships because of those past experiences. And then in our present relationships, these really gentle, subtle ways of trying to reshape our nervous system in a way to include more trust. It really is slow, little toe-dipping yeah. experiments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this, I mean, money is just one example. So mm-hmm. as you're listening to this, you know, I can just see multiple different uh, examples going oh, through your head yeah. of even just physical intimacy, yeah. mm-hmm. who takes out the trash. Who, Child raising. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. What car do we take? Yes. Who pays for that car? The who gas? Fixes the car? Exactly. Yes. Broken. Exactly right. Not me. Yes. <laughs> not me. For Melissa's family, that's not me. It's very clear. Okay. This, this yeah. was in the marital vows. Exactly. I will not Interacting with in-laws. Oh, gosh. Oh, my word. Uh, how to handle families over the holidays. Yep. Exactly mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How drunk is it appropriate to be around your family? How drunk <laughs> is it appropriate? Yeah. <laughs> is any drunkness? <laughs> well, these have to be addressed on a relational level, yes. but the recognition that they go far before the relationship ever existed Mm -hmm. is critical and really healing from that and being intentional when you're talking about money I think of a time with my husband Ryan and I when we were first getting married I wanted to save up and buy him a really nice gift that was like four or five hundred dollars and so I took a withdrawal from our account but I didn't just run the card where he could see where it was too I withdrew just the cash uh-oh. And there was this oh. moment because of his own, you stuff? know, family stuff and, and shaping yeah. that happened there. There was an immediate assumption. This is, and it was right before Christmas. So, it was, oh, you know, no. come on, come on. But this reshaping or the shaping for him of that's mm. bad, that's wrong. This is alarming. I'm concerned. There's You're doing some kind something of sneaky hidden yeah. here. And yeah, then it's of course, called a Christmas present, Ryan. When he asked questions <laughs> about it, I reacted and what the heck? I'm trying to surprise you and you've ruined the whole surprise. Oh. But to take that that interaction and really lean into that moment yes. and yeah. connect with each other through that yeah. was this reshaping experience. Yeah. Yeah. 
but we would not have been able to reshape that if it had just been focused on the then. Well, I mm-hmm. want you to not withdraw money next yes. time, right. and I want you to do it this way. Yes. We had to come to this awareness of why, why? is it mm-hmm. that this brings up so yeah. much fear yeah. for you? I think having that awareness is like the shortcut to compassion. Absolutely. Exactly. Yes. I could have so well understanding. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, throughout this podcast, you're going to get little things that uh, just stick with you. And if that can be one of them, the, the why, like, the, yes. like awareness always looking of our for, past. Yes, 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 our why. One of my favorite uh, therapists talks about how once we have awareness, we have choice. Mm-hmm. So if you know the why, mm-hmm. or if you can even just have a mindset that, okay, I'm reacting to something and why, not what am I going to do about it? Right. That's a reactivity place. Yeah. But if you just notice you're being activated by something in a conversation, like, you know, I imagine that, Jen, for you in that moment, that was a weird mm. uh, experience to, to come into a conversation about it with, I'm trying to do something sweet for you, and yeah. he's upset with you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. And it brought up my own stuff of you yes. questioning me mm-hmm. on my... Don't you trust me? Yes, exactly. exactly. And why are you Do I have to report money? to you every time right. I spend a dollar? So the <laughs> reactive answer to that would have been just like blow up, and then yes. you would have been reacting to Ryan as yeah. if he were your dad when you were growing up. 100%. Or mm-hmm. whatever yeah. else. Mm-hmm. And that might be exactly what was that happening, is actually. It is, it is what happened. And then yes. a lot of times in that reactive moment, it does take that turn and it does escalate mm. yes. but there's the repair that comes there's out always of opportunity for repair yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. and that's where i was connect. going with it is that even with that reaction if once the dust settles you can sit back and say this ended in a place that i definitely did mm. not want it to end and it was not all about this moment and it really yeah. had nothing to do with yeah. this this yeah. is a small thing when we're withdrawing four to five hundred dollars like it's not a big deal yeah. but mm-hmm. it woke up a lot of yeah. stuff There's a phrase that we use um, in the way that we do therapy, and it's very applicable here. We would call that accidentally stepping on a landmine that we didn't even know was there. Yep, exactly right. Suddenly we're, you know, in a conflict, we're in an argument, and we have no idea how we got there so quickly. And that is almost always an indication to us that, oh, there was a hidden trauma landmine in this area and now we've just discovered it didn't realize i was so sensitive about this but i really am and now i'm thinking about my dad and i I feel like i feel like family and relationships is usually the place that we accidentally find landmines well that's where they get embedded a lot of the time Yeah, they're embedded there and they're triggered there are planted in those key developmental stages and they have all of these little you know trigger points Mm -hmm. throughout the rest of our life Mm -hmm. to say if you even get to a place similar right close enough in any way to dad yelling at me for not making good choices well, that's not gonna be mm-hmm. good mm-hmm. so we just need to react mm-hmm. with real big anger or yes. big feelings to carry that metaphor out i think what we tend to want to do is how do we armor ourselves for these landmines let's right. put on more armor right. so that i can walk through this relationship and hit those and still be okay mm-hmm. exactly instead of saying how do we map out and learn where they are not to avoid them mm-hmm. but to strategically approach them and remove right. them to remove right. them to yes. diffuse yes. them together yeah. very different interaction yes. yep. than how do i armor up and try to walk through this and just like be okay with a landmine going on. And I feel like what you're saying, Jen, is the difference between a relationship that we have to manage because it's always in danger of triggering our trauma versus a relationship that can actually be healing to our trauma. Mm-hmm. Because really good, intimate, healthy relationship is one of the best sources of ongoing healing from our own developmental trauma that we can possibly find. Like hands down, you know, therapy's great. 
But if we don't have relationship where we're getting that kind of repair, it's hard to heal. Mm -hmm. This is one of our best places to heal. And the best therapy is really healing in relationship. Oh, yeah. And so it is in those encounters where, whoops, we accidentally triggered a landmine and now we have to figure out what to do about it together and how to approach this with compassion and love that our nervous system has an experience in the, and says, oh, maybe I can do differently than I used to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So kind of continuing in this direction, another outcome of early trauma and the impact that it can have on family and relationships is a struggle with codependency. That's mm-hmm. kind of a buzzword. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of you've probably heard or maybe labeled or been labeled or um, kind of categorized people that in that way. So I'd love to just dig a little bit deeper into what does codependency even mean? And if Mm -hmm. we take that label away, what is actually happening? And one piece I want to make sure we talk about is how it happens Mm -hmm. because it, it, it is an accusation that gets thrown. And then that's the big reactivity point for people. Well, she's codependent or Mm -hmm. he's codependent or they are codependent. But the little thought is given to what is that strategy doing for them? Right. Why is it so attractive to them? Mm-hmm. What's the deeper need? Yeah, exactly. Need What's that? being expressed and then maladaptively met mm-hmm. by that codependency? Well, and how is it a part of the survival strategy? Exactly. Because codependency is always about survival. Um, well, really, everything all of yeah, everything is yeah. about survival, but in particular, we're just animals, you yes, know. Yeah. No, we're not that complex, <laughs> except we totally are. Well, you're super complex. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, so I think starting with where did that word even come from? Like, why do we call it that? Originally, they called it codependent because they saw it first and most in relationships where one person was a dependent on a substance, mm-hmm. normally alcohol when they were originally doing the research. So they called the person that was enabling the lifestyle of the alcohol dependent as the codependent, a person that was also dependent on this cycle and this pattern. And if you guys are interested in kind of reading about how all this got created, uh, Melody Beatty, B-E-A-T-T-I-E, she wrote a book called Codependent No More. And she talks a lot about what these dynamics are and while at this point it's pretty dated, it's still pretty good. Um, yeah, and so, conceptually still pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. It, and it, but it, it was one of the very, very first sort of deep dive explorations into this really interesting pattern that we now refer to as codependency. Um, but I think that it's probably due for an update <laughs> in terms of the language that we use, but it's a very embedded word, and so we still use it to help you guys understand, like, this is this is the dynamic that we're talking about. So just out of curiosity, if you guys were to rename it, what would you call it? To rename codependency? Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. I feel like I'll have to think about that. I know. Mm-hmm. Well, we I'm going to gonna offer one. Okay. Enmeshed attachment. Fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Yeah, the word responsible mm. always comes to my mind. Yeah, like they are taking too much responsibility. Well, yeah, and even if it's a true codependent relationship, what Beatty would talk about, I mean, it's I am responsible mm-hmm. for their emotions. Yes. I am, and even beyond their emotions, sometimes it's I am responsible for their life. Yeah, yeah, you all know, facets. To, to keep them alive. So if they are threatening suicide, if they're acting in a dangerous way, it is my job to rescue them from themselves. Yep. I think that word rescue has 
like it is loaded with meaning for yeah. the codependent. Well, yeah. and this is why I mean it's it's talked a lot about in the addictions community because children of alcoholics yes. they very I mean, they were responsible for the yeah. livelihood of the parent that yeah. was an addict yeah. in a and, lot of instances. And I think that that tells us why this was a survival strategy. Absolutely. If you think about the child in that scenario, and this is my own story, the child of an addict. And so when your parent is malfunctioning that badly, there is this awareness that you grow up with of the best way to keep myself safe and okay is to make sure that they're somewhat functional. To parent. To parent them. So now I need to parent my parent in order to be parented. Mm-hmm. Oh, get boy. Yes. 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 And so, if you're listening and you're getting activated, it's okay. <laughs> Everybody take a deep breath. Yeah, it's all yeah. right. It is. Go slow. Go slow. Are you telling me to slow down a no, little bit? No, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you need to pause the podcast, please do. It's a good time. Yes, because yes, that's a hard thing to hear that and is. maybe realize for the first time. Like, whoops, that's oh, what was happening. I parented my parent. Mm-hmm. And now they blame me for it. Mm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, or yeah. maybe and now I am parenting people that I should not be parenting. Yes, mm-hmm. and that, that yes, that that was my manifestation of it, and yeah. I think a really common man- manifestation is I can't let other people handle their own life, their yep. own emotions, their own problems. So in this new definition that we're or this new word, mm-hmm. I think we need to encompass also the there's to me multiple flavors of codependency there's the victim codependent who is the martyr i need to be taken care of all the time yes why aren't they trying to you know connect with me why aren't they trying to Mm -hmm. do this but then there's also the caretaker codependent and that was what once i learned that that piece of it was there i was just like oh that's yeah. me. Like mm-hmm. I'm not codependent. I don't need because we other typically people. think of the one receiving. Exactly. All of the care. Yes, that's oh, see, the codependent. I, I always think of it the other way, but that's yeah. probably because that was me. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And for me, that was the I didn't know I was a codependent until oh, yeah. I heard the caretaking subtype, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it still fits. That's me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's from such an innocent place of like, no, I'll do it. It's okay. Yeah, I'll do it. It's from a really like loving, good-hearted place. Yeah, exactly. Place yeah. yeah, I mean, I, you know, I just want you to feel good. I just want mm-hmm. you to have what you need. I just want you to, you know, mm-hmm. and then that slippery slope ends you in. I want you to be a different person, mm-hmm. or I want you to mm-hmm. behave this way, or I want this for you, and you're rejecting it, and so yeah. then now I have this pain. Yeah, or you need to let me take care of you so that I can feel good about myself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. My worth <laughs> is dependent on that. Again, press pause if you need to. Yeah. <laughs> we might need to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Have just a little bit of our own therapy here, you yeah. guys. That's okay. It's all right. <laughs> well, and, That's what and friends do. The way we've kind of defined codependent in one of the trainings that we teach is a relationship where there is excessive emotional psychological reliance from one or both partners Mm -hmm. a responsibility for one partner's feelings and well-being placed on the other partner Mm -hmm. and then melissa so adorably said my okayness (laughs) is not dependent on your okayness this was my mantra i love it for several years when my family was in the midst of it when you you were recovering yes when i was recovering from my codependency codependency particularly with my father i would walk around going his okayness or my okayness is not dependent on his okayness. It is this I can do this. This is okay, and it was awful. But really, yeah. the the only thing that <clears throat> really made the shift happen is total and complete non-contact for about six months, mm. and really, it felt like going through the codependent version of a detox. 
because it, my nervous system would reach out to do the thing that it always used to do. And it was so spontaneous. It really, truly felt like an addictive cycle. Mm-hmm. And I think that when we're struggling with any version of codependency, the compulsion can be so strong that it really does feel like an addiction I mean, in the us. brain, it is, it, the is. it is the same cycle thing. of addiction. Yep. The, yeah. the, the person has become the... The drug. The drug. Yes. Yep. And that, okay, so we're going to say that again because I think that's really important. And once again, this is kind of a gut punch. Did not realize this episode was going <laughs> to be so many <laughs> punches. Yes. Sorry, guys. Um, so for a codependent, if you're resonating with what we're saying, one of the things that we have to do and really take ownership of is I use people like a drug to get my needs met, even if it costs quite a bit for me and that other person. Oof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> How's everybody doing? <laughs> well, it, it, so it's true. so true. It is and so it, true. if you're familiar with substance addiction at all, it's very similar in the way of it, it gradually becomes more and more intense. The need yeah. it has to. The craving. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and the, the, um, the behaviors that kind of come from that place of need get bigger and more intense. And so it's that need might be met with a small amount of that person or a small amount of connection or interaction. And then when that's gone, the craving and the desire is even greater and bigger. Mm-hmm. And so it follows that's a right. very similar Oh, yes. Path. Oh, yes. And this is why, jokingly but not jokingly, we talk about being recovering codependents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm never joking yeah. about that. Yeah. I, I mean, it sounds... Part of how I hold myself accountable. Exactly. <laughs> I think in, like... The therapist group. It sounds yeah. cute, but it's like, oh no, no it's no, actually we, for we real. No, I'm yeah. serious about yes. this. <laughs> Recovering codependent. Yeah. Well, the truth is that most of us that find ourselves drawn to the profession of being a helper, being a healer, being a therapist, etc., the reason that we're drawn to that is because of this codependent pattern mm-hmm. in ourselves and this um, attachment and enmeshment, our willingness to get all up in the business of somebody else and take responsibility for them. We just know it too well. Yeah, no, it's comfy. Yep. It's very home. familiar. Yeah, and I uh, comfort myself by saying now, because I get paid to do it. <laughs> I can support my family with You're this. a professional <laughs> codependent? Hey, now, Is that the, wait, wait. You started it. I, did, I don't just know. just a little bit. Yeah. Um, at the beginning of my joke. career, I all would say that's yes. But now, now people that know me are surprised to discover that I used to be very codependent. Yes. I feel like I hide it well now. <laughs> yes, evolved. <laughs> One other big term I want to throw out here is projection. Oh, man. And, yeah. and this is another thing that comes up as a result of trauma and shows up in our relationships, which mm-hmm. I feel like we've mentioned a little bit, mm-hmm. but yeah. just to make it more specific. I think that was the example, like what I thought of so quickly with Ryan becoming your dad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in that moment, it wasn't Ryan that you were really talking right. to. That's a projection, almost like yeah. if you imagine having a projector in yourself yes. that just sort of like cast the picture of that other person from your past between you yeah. and the, the current the person. Money, yes. The money, the idea of the money turned the projector on yes. and then all Jen could see was dad mm-hmm. talking to And all Ryan was seeing was whatever yep. person in his history exactly. had been sneaky and manipulative with money, yeah. which was not you. And this yeah. is that the idea that we talk a lot about of code dysregulation. Yeah. Once our dysregulation or another person's meets we get spun up together. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, if Ryan was the first to initiate that that conversation, um, his dysregulation sparked your dysregulation, yeah. Jens. Mm-hmm. And his you projection were, sparked yep, her projection. Yep, exactly yes. right. And that's where we get in these uh, sort of backburning, 
like, oh no, how big mm-hmm. is this going to get? Because the, the tectonic plates are meeting. Yeah. And, you know, mountains form from <laughs> tectonic plates. Volcanoes. So, yes, exactly. <laughs> and sometimes the projection is so convincing. Oh, like yeah. It's really difficult in that moment to acknowledge that it's a projection. Yeah. Like it feels so real yeah. that it can take after finding a little more regulation, maybe yeah. taking a time out and, and removing yeah. yourself for a moment. Or having help with it with a therapist mm-hmm. or yes, something. Yeah. Clearly. Where we can start yeah. to see through, oh, this yeah. actually isn't this person and right. I'm. And the difficult part with it in there, like from a therapeutic standpoint, is that it may not at first have been Ryan. Mm -hmm. You know, it may have Mm -hmm. been your dad. But then we have repeated occurrences Mm -hmm. and now we have actual uh, traumatization within the relationship that it didn't start as a genuine, authentic reaction, but then it became that. Well, and I I think that, like, Bridger, that's a really good point because at the beginning of a relationship when we're doing those projections from our past onto that person, we are pushing them to play the role of that old person. And what can and often does happen is that... Okay, fine. They do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, fine. I'll yes. do it. We cast yeah. them for the part like yep. Bridget used yep. before, and they yep. step into it. Yep. Yeah. And, and that, that I think, is like the ultimate version of that co-dysregulation when we have gotten to a point where we are now playing those roles for each other that were based on those past projections and those needs of our trauma. And if you guys have ever heard the, the term trauma bonding, that's, that's actually what we're there talking about. There it is. About. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeez, the, we're covering a lot today. I yeah. told you this episode was going to be big. <laughs> One of the visuals we should do that, a part two. <laughs> I was going to say this is deep. No, we're only at twenty-eight minutes. Oh, okay, we're okay. We're okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the sort of visuals that I always get with how extreme it is that we're making people play roles from our past. It's almost like we're trying to fit them into this suitcase, mm-hmm. and it's like finally the person's just like, "Okay, you want me to get in the suitcase? Fine, mm-hmm. I will get in the suitcase." Mm-hmm. And then we're just like lugging around this suitcase all day. Or you find yourself in it, and you're thinking, "I have how, become how the I person." Yes. They accuse yes. me of how am I in the suitcase yes. right now? Yes. Yeah. How did I get here? Yes, and it's yeah. like, "Do you want to come out of the suitcase?" Yeah. Yeah, it's like cramped in here. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I would really like to come out. So there's another term that is very. Um, in vogue at the moment that people hear a lot about and that's called gaslighting and what we are talking about right now is that oops <laughs> the the moment where we are projecting something from our past onto another person and accusing that person of being that thing that they are not actually or they are not actually doing it but we are pushing them into that role because of our own trauma that is the the most um non-intentional uh, version of gaslighting. Yes. There are versions where a, a narcissistic person will do it actually on purpose. With, yes, with to full, make, full consciousness. To make the dependent feel crazy. That's right. And thus more attached. That's right. But there are versions where we, we do it accidentally by accusing people of, of being what that past thing was even though that's not actually happening in the current moment. And that can be very, very confusing, mm-hmm. even as the person, yeah. well, maybe especially as the person that's getting projected upon, because you have these moments of like, wait. What is going on? Am I that? Mm. Am I doing that? Am I and crazy? I, yeah, am I crazy? Exactly. Like, am I, you know, this might be a personal example. Am I actually a bully? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like I'm a bully, but yeah. you keep telling me that I am, so maybe it's true. And I, I think in relationships and family dynamics, that that plays out a lot. Yeah, and unfortunately, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy mm-hmm. because once that 
air of doubt of is this real am i that person your nervous system in you know understands that to be a threat state yeah. so now you're going to be more reactive yeah. so if somebody's calling you a bully and you're like yeah. i don't know if that's true you're probably going to come across yeah. as a bully yeah because yeah. i'm so going to push back exactly and get so that's going to yeah. start to reaffirm yeah. that narrative yeah. and over now and over we've got again. new evidence yeah. that's happening in the present then a couple months from now you own the identity of yeah. a bully yeah here Sad. i am i know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sad. and that's how it gets really complicated and why family therapy is a lot of work. Oof. Yes, it <laughs> is. If anyone else's brains are spinning right now, uh-huh. like, what do we do with this? All, the whole focus of this podcast is really about healing. Yeah, that would be so a terrible story of just like, we just, and then say, yeah. yeah, so it's kind of a bummer. So yeah. Listen in for part two. <laughs> <laughs> two weeks. Yeah. That's right. The answer is. No, we have stuff to say. Yes. Everybody get divorced and don't do relationship. It's too dangerous. Melissa. <laughs> just kidding. That's not what I actually think. Jeez. Most days. <laughs> okay, Jen, you talk now. <laughs> Still working on my stuff, people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is beautifully honest podcast. Yes, wow. love it. So the healing piece, we talk a lot on how to do the healing. Now we want to look at, though, when that healing starts. So it is a gradual process. It's not immediate. It's not, okay, I understand it now and it's gone. I'm not doing these things anymore. But the awareness of how our trauma manifests in these relationships give us a lot of power to then start the yeah. healing process mm-hmm. on them. So gaining that awareness, though, we want to start looking at what can the healing process, how does that impact the family dynamics and the relationships? And we started talking about this a little bit, but that idea of that change is hard on any system, even when it's positive. And this is a point that I, I mean, this is such a delicate step in the therapeutic process because it, it's so complex. You know, you're basically going back into the system that really, Uh, sort of complicated a lot of your dysfunction Mm -hmm. and you're saying to them I'm on a journey to heal and I know that that's going to upset you Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways Mm -hmm. and so I'm working on developing boundaries Mm -hmm. to let you not be okay while I heal and hopefully you can go get your own help or that we can do it together yes that is very provoking to hear. Yes, it <laughs> and it's usually not delivered in that calm <clears throat> tone. Rarely. No. no. Mm-hmm. Usually it's after the fact, right? Exactly. I've started healing and mm-hmm. I'm seeing more conflict happen. Yes. Mm-hmm. And now I'm saying, you need to get a therapist too. Like I'm exactly. doing all this work and you're not doing anything. Yep. And yeah. It gets messy. Yes. So know that we respect the, the difficulty of what we're saying. Mm-hmm. That it's not just this flippant like, yeah, it's just easy. You just go tell your dad that you're on a healing journey mm-hmm. and that he needs to respect that and give you space. Go get and a therapist, dad. Exactly. Yeah. That is not going to go well. Look, no. I'm just telling you right now. So it's hard to foreshadow that for clients. That's true. It's kind of once you start in your healing journey, recognize that they may not have started on that path. So everything that they're doing and reacting yes, to yes. is from a path that's not the healing and path. And they're probably mm-hmm. really right? scared of what you're talking oh, yeah. about. Yes. Like yes. that's so much change. I can't do that. I, can't I, do I don't that. know. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So being able to see them with that compassion, understanding Oof. of where those are coming from. It's so easy for me to say in this um, yes. and harder to actually step into and do in real mm-hmm. life. But even in a non-reactive place, trying to hold that posture and really grasp an understanding of, okay, if my behaviors came from a place of pain and fear and insecurity, theirs yeah. do as well. Yes. Even if I don't know what those insecurities and fears are, they that's where they're coming from. Well, and that's even, you know, speaking of personal testimony, like my partner right now is going through this with her family and is having 
you know, just waiting for this next long mm-hmm. text message mm-hmm. um, that is going to just try to decimate mm-hmm. her feelings. And it's full of all those things that we've been talking about. Oh, my Manipulation, gosh. gaslighting, guilt, yes, the enmeshment. All yes, of it. Yes. Using all of these strategies to try to get her to crumble back mm-hmm. into the mm-hmm. version, you know, the role that they cast her to play and she's having to stand up for it and say I'm not going to do that Mm -hmm. and the way that I'm going about this I need you to respect that process Mm -hmm. and that just sends like whoa like that's Mm -hmm. just the most disrespectful thing that she could say and so it is a really hard process Mm -hmm. but it's something to be done delicately with supportive people in your life and with hope Oh my gosh, so much hope. So much hope. And, you know, I can make light of my own story quite a bit, but the the end of all of that is the person that I was in, you know, the worst version of that codependent relationship with, through my healing journey, it triggered his own healing journey. And he is now also a therapist and works with couples and families around the particular addiction that he struggled with with for years. And so I think we have to remember that yeah sometimes it takes years Mm -hmm. but the the amount of healing that is really possible within a family system is quite extraordinary and uh, that that feels like the truest thing that can possibly be true about humans is that we never quit changing we're always evolving and we decide which direction we're going to evolve in and when we're when we kind of get into that groove of I am committed to my healing journey, it's not about how quickly can I get there. It's just I am now setting the trajectory of my life, and I will keep the relationships that can run parallel with this trajectory. Yeah. And give myself permission to let go of the ones that don't. And this is the way I want us to kind of intro into co-regulation, like mm-hmm. what it actually means. We talk about that word a lot, and mm-hmm. it's such a complicated word when you're coming from a co-dysregulated place. You have all these relationships that just are landmines waiting to be stepped on. Yeah. But ultimately, that co-regulation piece is, you know, I'm. it's okay for you to have your feelings. It's okay for me to have my feelings. We can have them in parallel and ultimately show up for each other. Mm-hmm. Even though those relationships or those emotions, those feelings are, are dissonant with each other. They butt heads with each other. Mm-hmm. But knowing that we're on a road to, to healing mm-hmm. and we want to be safe about that, we want to be boundaried with that, and we want to be reciprocally, you know, honoring to one another yeah. in yeah. that. That is a, a, a tough place to get to, but it's something that is so beautiful yeah. when it finally happens. In an effort for those of you listening to be able to really relate to this, this can show up in so many relationships. So it can be in the version that Bridger's talking about of, you know, an individual going on a healing process and as an adult and their family not. Yeah. It could be in a couple and a marriage yes. and a partnership where one goes and there's a lot of problems within that relationship and one seeks therapy but the other's not willing to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the struggles that may come up there. It may be for a kid who's starting on a mm. healing journey. Yeah. And the family's coming around them saying, you know, we want them to heal. We want them to get better, but not recognizing how much that might shift mm-hmm. the system itself. Yes. We want you to get better on our terms. Right. And yeah. the, exactly. Mm-hmm. In the way that in the way that they're trying to support, quote unquote, their child and their Maybe healing, actually they're actually adding to the problem. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes. Lots of my clients. Yeah. I can relate to that with mm-hmm. our yeah. daughter who's in therapy yeah. right now and just really learning like, oh, 
I have my own stuff that shows up in this, and I thought it was all hers. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was all her thing. She right. wakes up stuff in me. That's yes. weird. Yeah. Yes. So that is, you know, it applies to all family dynamics, mm-hmm. all relationships. So going in with that awareness, whether it's you seeking the healing or someone that you love and care about seeking therapy and starting their healing process, knowing how can I come along and support them and maybe be a co-regulator in this journey with Mm -hmm. them, be there to create a sense of safety and connection. And I think that's another really critical concept in all of this is safety. How do we establish safety within these relationships Mm -hmm. and dynamics? It really is a prerequisite. One of my favorite authors talks about how safety is the treatment. Mm -hmm. Safety is healing. Safety is what is going to cause Mm -hmm. the change to happen. Which I think is part of why therapy is such a beautiful and unique situation because there is a a huge chance of risking trust and risking safety because there's not so much extra entanglement. Yeah. Um, it's this person that we are literally hiring to help us create a template of a safe, open, honest relationship that is really all about us. Yes, yeah. and that kind of sets up an opportunity for those projections to happen mm-hmm. and for us to have what I call disconfirming experiences. Yeah. These are moments where we project onto our therapist something and the way that we know they're going to handle it in our mind is just like our mom or mm-hmm. just like our dad. Mm-hmm. But then they show up in a different way. And so that's a moment to say like, oh, maybe it was just about my mom. Mm-hmm. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. And it wasn't all people. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's going to react like my mom. Mm-hmm. Huh. Weird. <laughs> and then they what continue what do I do with on. That? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Then the cl- Maybe I'll then try again next exactly. week and see I'll if ch- I need Let me bring out yeah. some other stuff. I'll show oh, yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And we do, you know, whether we admit it or not, we do do a lot of testing in relationships. Oh, constantly. We're, we test each other. We check. Are you for real? Yeah. Are you actually safe? Are you really as committed as you say you are? And I think those, those little tests is where safety really gets established. And yeah. so... I want, I want you guys to really hear say, like, that's not a bad thing. Like, we're not implying that you should just quit testing and let go of all of that. I think the, the goal is that we get to a point in our relationships where the test has been, um, it's run its course. We yeah. no longer are needing that. Exactly. But at the beginning, you're never going to talk yourself out of that need. With my clients, this is what I think is one of the biggest differences between me and the therapists of my clients past is they come in expecting me to start telling them what not to do mm-hmm. and I just say I don't really care what you're doing mm-hmm. I want you to know why you're doing it though mm-hmm. right and maybe see if you want to make a different choice yeah and can this be honest and open between us so that you can don't we, have to sit with these as a secret exactly and mm-hmm. a shame secret in yes. that like yeah. can we actually talk about like what this strategy is doing for you mm-hmm. and then maybe say like maybe there's a different pattern that could be used Mm -hmm. and that's the most beautiful realization of all is when they realize the reason they're doing it the strategy they're using is not getting that reason or need met Mm -hmm. and so we collectively decide together on a better strategy right right and and usually that better strategy has to do with us believing that safety is actually present that's absolutely and to risk feeling safe which is such an interesting concept that it feels risky to let ourselves feel safe, but it goes back to what Jen was talking about earlier, that conscious decision to remove armor, yeah, to walk around that minefield unarmored. Mm. 
<laughs> and uh, walking around that minefield unarmored with another person yep. and letting them see, you know, this is this is what built me. This is who I am. Yeah. And what are you going to do when yeah. things blow up? Are you still going to be here? Yeah. Yeah, I just got this image of like a World War II minefield, but a sign that says family <laughs> yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. He was like walking by and it's like, yeah, yeah it's a minefield. Mm-hmm. It's called family. Mm-hmm. It's all my past. Mm-hmm. That's a social media post coming in. Oh, there it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's so true. Oh. Yeah, I think, you know, that whole concept of safety being the most healing thing for us and really, really recognizing it's not about pushing yourself to make yourself feel safe as quickly as possible. It's just about inviting yourself into situations where you can learn that safety is an option. Mm, And, uh, you know, a lot of us that have familial trauma in our history, we accidentally bully ourselves quite a bit. And expect ourselves, expect our nervous system, expect our body to be willing and ready to do things that it is just not ready to do. And trust and intimacy and safety in relationship is one of those things that we cannot do it with our logical brain and just say, and now you should trust. Because our body is going, no, mm-hmm. no, I don't. We haven't done any of the work to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and a perfect example is, you know, and now you should trust this brand new therapist that you just met five minutes ago. Yeah. No, no, don't do that. Like, you, you've Lunacy. never met this. But yeah, yeah. Please, please don't feel like you have to do that. It's really about um, being open to the possibility of trusting and letting that build naturally and evolve organically as there's there's evidence that this person is trustworthy and by trustworthy we mean able to stay in a co-regulated co-regulated state with not them. because they said i'm trustworthy yeah, yes. not, you not can trust that. me <laughs> no. uh, uh, run not. away yeah. <laughs> if anyone says that to you run no uh, uh, uh. a better question is does it feel like you can trust me in this situation yeah. you know and and really offering that back and when we're asking ourselves that don't ask your logical brain that is not the place that is going to give you the real answer ask your body yes can my body a really great question about safety can my body relax around this person mm-hmm. if yes maybe i'm starting to feel safe around them yeah the brain will give an i don't know the rational mm-hmm. brain will give an i don't know because it knows, like, well, we don't have a long history. Or it'll give, I should. Right, I should. Mm-hmm. But then check the, all these if boxes. you ask the body, it'd be like, no. No, no totally not. Absolutely not. <laughs> I haven't trusted anyone in a long time, actually. So, right, yeah. right. Nice try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so really, when in our relationships, it's when everyone has, ideally, some type of trauma information. They're trauma-informed. So yeah. we're going to have the best opportunities mm-hmm. for connection and mm-hmm. co-regulation. That is rarely the story, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> especially not at the beginning. Everyone is trauma-informed. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's not at the beginning, but if we can gradually begin to introduce language like this, yes, feelings, words, awareness of body, mm-hmm. um, explicitly saying, I feel uneasy for some reason, and I don't know why. Yeah, I'm projecting. I don't know why. Yes, if we can start is. to kind of yeah. plant these seeds, the relationship as a whole, our whole family system, yes. can become more and more trauma-informed mm-hmm. and have a greater opportunity for connection. One air of caution I will give is go easy with informing your family about this because sometimes it comes across in accusations. Mm-hmm. Um, my therapist told me this, and you start applying it to other people. Mm-hmm. We always want to invite into a space of vulnerability, not mm-hmm. accuse into a position of 
the blame holder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of trauma-informed conversation 101. Yeah. We don't ever accuse in a place if we're actually wanting them to come closer. Right. That's not how right. that works. If you don't want them to exactly. come closer, go ahead and set that boundary. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> that's the point. But you uh-huh. need to you need to assess what your motive is yes. in that yes. conversation. Are you wanting closer relationship with this person? Mm-hmm. And we the accusation is going to just push them away. Yeah. But do we need to set boundaries? Good. Mm-hmm. Accuse and then say, this is how you hurt me. This is what I'm feeling, mm-hmm. and we need to not do that anymore. Yeah, I think bringing a grievance like that to somebody, if our goal is to maintain and strengthen the relationship, we it's not that we have to edit out our anger. No, no, no. Not at all. In fact, we show up with the full honesty of our anger and speak about the hurt that it has created yes. in us and really keeping it focused on this is how this thing has impacted me and then checking in with them and saying like what is happening for you in this situation how does it feel to hear me say this where are you at with this you know what were you feeling at the time this thing has happened and coming into it with a curiosity but we can still come in with a lot of ferocity one of the most beautiful exchanges i've seen in my practice was with a mother and her daughter the mother with tear-filled just completely activated system face say I am furious with you right now mm-hmm. but I really want to understand you mm-hmm. it's beautiful like dang so mm-hmm. beautiful. just yeah and of course the daughter didn't understand what that meant and blew up again but like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's still such a powerful um, moment like that's exactly yeah. what you're talking about yes when I, I for me the safety net is anytime I want to bring this kind of language into a relationship I talk about it and what my experience is exactly mm-hmm. so yes. I am feeling this I am experiences I learned this mm-hmm. this came up in my therapy session for yes. me mm-hmm. and bring that in and if something in the other person says okay I can apply that to me and how does that work great they are right in there with you yes. and then it can become a mutual reciprocal mm-hmm. conversation yes. mm-hmm. but if you feel it stay I'm like oh that's really interesting about you and it stays on you then it tells you their system isn't ready to open that's that a great up point yes. to yes. being yeah. brought into them so exactly. then you shouldn't that's yeah, not the place where you say them. well really I just told that story because you needed to hear it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. you do the same thing <laughs> yeah exactly I thought about you a lot in my therapy uh-huh. session yeah. today yeah. <laughs> oh yeah now that's like worst case scenario when somebody's like, "Oh yeah, I told my partner that we talked." About I know. Oh like, don't, no. Don't, no. 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 Don't do that. Don't. That's not good. I'm telling you, they may have received it well right then, but it's not going <laughs> to. No. Don't keep yeah. doing it. And also, if you ever want to do a couple session, this is going to go bad. No, I'm the bad guy. You <laughs> yes, see this, right? Yes, <laughs> this oh man. Well, guys, so <laughs> that that was a lot. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of trauma informed. Tra- speaking of trauma informed. Well, before we get to that, any wrap up thoughts about? Mm. Trauma and family and relationships. Be kind Be to kind. yourself. Yes. <laughs> and go into Patient. it. Yeah, go into it with a lot of hope. It I is mean, a process. Yes, it is a process, a long process, and being um, goal focused in terms of here's you know what it'll look like when everything is perfect in my relationships. Probably you know let go of that. Like that's Yikes. not going to happen. Perfect. Yeah, no. perfection in general. No, that's tough. But what is what is very possible is being surrounded by relationships that are mostly safe most of the time and that you have places to go relationally to to find profound intimacy where you can really show up as you and you can allow the people around you to really show up as them. Mm-hmm. That is truly possible, yeah. uh, surprisingly possible. And uh, yeah, and there is, so there's a lot of hope in this. And so speaking of trauma-informed care, 
We want to offer you guys um, some information about a training that we do. Uh, it's one of our favorite things to do is to come to communities, to businesses, to organizations, schools, schools you know, whatever organization that you're working in um, or functioning in, churches, etc. that could really benefit from the whole group understanding what it means to have trauma-informed care and trauma-informed culture, trauma-informed relationships. Amen. Yeah. Mm. What a different world we would live in Beautiful. if we all understood what this meant. And so we come and we do a three-day training for you and for your community and your people and really go into depth on you know what this is about, how to do your own personal work, but really how to relate with each other in this trauma-informed, nervous system-informed way. It's beautiful. And it's a whole lot of fun. We just got done uh, doing one of these trainings for a group of uh, therapists, equine uh, therapists. Who else was there? We had a really, really mixed Case group. Caseworkers. Caseworkers. Administrators. That was super fun to have administrators Horse people. here. Yeah, <laughs> and it was a you know such an interesting mix of people, but it was so applicable to all of yeah. the different roles that they play, and that's really intentional on our part because we believe that whatever role you play in your community, your organization, your family, etc., being trauma informed and nervous, nervous system, system informed, informed yeah. is absolutely the ticket to having the kinds of interactions and the kind of relationships that you want. It's also the fastest way to make substantial change. Yep. Whatever we're working on doing it this way means that we're going with the flow of the nervous system rather than against and it just makes it so much kinder gentler loving and therefore effective Um, so if you want more information about the trauma-informed care training you can go to our website um, and what is our website you guys well, actually, you can email oh, us at training at beyondhealingcenter.com mm-hmm. directly just to express interest or to ask more about it. And we can, one of us or someone else from our team can get in contact with you mm-hmm. about all of the details. Yeah. They're not on the website quite yet. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, so training at beyondhealingcenter.com, and we'd love to have conversations with you about that if you... Um, want to email us and set up a phone consultation so that you can ask all your questions. We would love to chat with you about that. Well, guys... Thanks so much for a great episode. I had a lot of fun lot talking of fun. about all of that. I hope that good uh, therapy. Yeah, I know <laughs> <laughs> that all of you listeners enjoyed it as well. So we'll talk to you next time. Safe journeys, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Trauma, a psychotherapy podcast from therapists for clients about the journey of trauma recovery. While resources like this can be helpful, they should never take the place of or be used as therapy. We encourage you to find a trauma-informed therapist in your area to be your guide in this healing journey. Take a minute to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify, and we would appreciate it if you could leave us a review. You can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon at beyondtraumapodcast.com. Thanks again for tuning in.